Stand in front of a fan. You stand in front of the fan. Morning. Dave. Wait just a minute here and then I'll get started. All right. You look all lonely over there. I'm going to go ahead and start. Um, my apologies, I don't have a handout today. Um, hope to be back on track with that next week, but not don't have one today. So just have to take good notes. But let me um, open us with a word of prayer, and then um, we'll get into chapter four on God's justice. Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you um, for this day that you've given to us, uh, Lord, this day that we are able to come together as people um, in need of you, uh, in need of uh, knowing more about you, and just in need of your grace um, each day. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you that you have given us your word that um, helps us to, uh, to know you and to understand you. Um, Lord, enlighten our hearts today uh, with your truths and help us to discern um, your truths from the writings of, um, of one who, who has followed you and served you. Lord, please speak through me today. Move me out of the way and um, bless our time here this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right. I want to start by saying happy Father's Day to all you dads. Um, well, chapter four is where we are today. This is God's justice. And the goal of, the, of today is to help you understand God's justice and especially to see that it does not conflict with his mercy and forgiveness to repentant sinners. Um, and I, as I've read through this chapter and thought some about it, what's come to my mind a lot has been Jonah and what we've been hearing about the past three weeks and what we'll hear about today. Um, but I've seen some parallels between what the book is describing as God's justice and his mercy and how it compares to man and the differences that are there. And I'll try to bring out some of that um, as we go through. 
I'm going to um, start by reading the scriptures that are at the beginning of the chapter. Um, and I'll just start at the beginning. This is Genesis 18:25, and these are all these are from the King James version. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? This is then Deuteronomy 10:17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible, which regardeth not persons nor taketh reward. Psalm 19:9. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Psalm 92:15. To show that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Psalm 97.2, righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. Isaiah 28.17, judgment also will I lay to the line and righteousness to the plummet. And Isaiah 16.5-7, and I heard the angels of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. How would you define justice? Anybody else? Ah, yeah. They get what they deserve, not me. Anybody else? So I looked up definitions for justice, and there were quite a few, um, most of them having to do with or related to our legal system. Um, some of them um, got into um, the more of the religious or spiritual definition, um, and one of them was just behavior or treatment. So then what is just? And just is based on behaving 
to what is morally right and fair. And then in an evangelical sense, righteous, religious, influenced by a regard to the laws of God or living in exact conformity to the divine will. That's kind of the textbook definitions, if you will. But then Tozer gives a definition in the book. Um, He says that um, justice is indistinguishable from righteousness in the Old Testament. It's the same root word with variations according to the part of the speech used, which that gets into English and things that I don't understand. (laughs) But um, he says it means uprightness or rectitude. So then another word, what does rectitude mean? Um, rectitude is a noun Um, in morality rightness or rightness of principle or practice Um, uprightness of mind exact conformity to truth or to the rules prescribed for moral conduct either by divine or human laws um the quality or state of being straight, moral integrity or righteousness, and the quality or state of being correct in judgment or procedure. So if you think about Tozer's definition and maybe your own definition, Tozer's definition being basically uprightness or rectitude, um, do you see any differences between how you would define it and how Tozer defined it. good I think it follows along with what Tozier would say about it Um, with Tozier he he does say um, that God is just or to say that God is just to say it's ah, let me start that over to say that God is just is to say that God is equitable that he is morally equal. Um, so that's, to be honest, I've struggled with what he's really saying there. <laughs> so I understand that God is equitable um, and morally equal was kind of the part that really, I'm like, I'm not really sure what he's saying there. Um, morally equal to himself not morally equal to us. We are not morally equal to God. So, But God is just. Um, so justice is not something that God has. 
justice is something that God is. Justice does not require God to do anything. If that were the case, justice would be greater than God. And we know that that to not be true, that there's nothing that is greater than God. Um, think back to, I think it was the first um, chapter on infinitude, and God is infinite in all things. So if justice is above God, then we don't have a God. Yeah, that would make sense. he's unchanging yes Thank you. You said perception of something being worse than others? Yeah. That helps, I think, understand that better. So, thank you. Um, then Tozier makes reference to a guy named Anselm, who was a theologian, a, a great church father, he says, a great saint, a great thinker. And he posed the question, how can God be just and still spare the wicked? Um, and that's one of the, thinking about that question made me think about what we've been hearing in the book of Jonah with Jonah and Nineveh. Nineveh was a city of great evil, um, but God, yet God saved them, saved the city. Jonah didn't want to do it. So I think that kind of parallels with Jonah's morality was unequal, but yet God's is equal. Um, is this question there any different from what Romans is uh, counseling about the new testament? Is that the Bible or the Bible? Uh, I would say that there that that would basically be the same kind of question. Yeah. 
I mean, that's what he does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we're going. He, Tozer's going to answer that question as he goes through the chapter. Um, and there are three parts to that question. But before we get into that, have you ever asked that question? Or ever, do you think believers ask that question? So he said he's never, he doesn't think he's ever asked the question, but thankful that God knows the answer. To the question? Is that what you said? Okay. And that he doesn't. Yeah. And I don't know that I've asked the question in that way, but I have thought before about um, people who appear to us or appear to me to be very evil people, but yet God could still save them if he wanted to. And, and why would he do that? Or how could he do that? But yes. Tozier gives us three answers to the question. First answer is the unity of God. Second is the passion of Christ. And the third is um, the unchanging God. So with the unity of God, he talks about how um, man is made of parts, but God is unitary. Um, says man is not a unitary being, and he's composed of parts. Talks about spirit, soul, and body. Um, and he goes through a, a description of some of the parts of man can be taken away. He talked about you, man could forget things, or um, man could be, um, I think, you know, if you took away an arm or something, that's a part of what you were made of. Um, I don't think he said that, but that's what I thought of. But parts of man can be taken away, um, and we can still live. Um, and because we're not unitary but made, and we're composed uh, of different things, that can frustrate us, um, is, is what he says. Um, so part of us may war with another part of us. And that, that made me, too, think about, um, about Jonah and Jonah himself, who 
he didn't want to go tell the Ninevites to repent. He's like, he wanted them to just not be able to receive God's mercy. Um, so he had that battle within himself uh, between his sense of justice and sense of mercy, and I think we have that within ourselves as well. But God, on the other hand, is unitary. He's not composed of parts. In Deuteronomy 6, 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. This doesn't merely mean that there's only one God. It means that God is one, one in the sense of a unit. And so how does that make us different from God? And how does that concept of God answer the question, how can God be just and still spare the wicked? Man is made of parts. God is unitary. How does that make us different from God? And then how does the concept of God's unity answer the question, how can God be just and still spare the wicked? God is all mercy, but at the same time, he is all justice. And because he's one, the different attributes of God harmonize with one another. Um, Everything that God does harmonizes with everything else that God does perfectly because there are no parts to get out of joint and no attributes that will face off against one another and want to fight it out. God's attributes never quarrel with one another, whereas our attributes would quarrel with one another. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I had, I had trouble understanding exactly what you were 
the moral equality of God. Yeah, well, I think... Um, yes. a good question. Yep. Um, all right. Well, then he goes on to talk about the passion of Christ as another means of answering the question. And passion here he says, means deep, terrible suffering. Um, Jesus Christ is God, and all that has been said about God describes Christ. So Christ is unitary. Um, He has taken on himself the nature of man, but God is a unitary being, and there's no dividing his substance. So Christ suffered, and his suffering in his own blood was for three things, or not four. Christ's suffering in his own blood for us was three things. It was infinite, it was almighty, and it was perfect. Um, and t- there's a, in this section, Tozier talks about um, Jesus Christ died to change a moral situation. What do you think he was meaning by that? It's okay. The moral situation could be the depravity of man, the sin nature of man. <laughs> um, I, I think that was the point he was making, that um, man is, man, the moral situation of man is that he's a sinner. Um, and Christ died not to change God. He died to change our moral situation. The cross did not change God's mind about us. It changed the moral situation. I think he did make reference to that when he, he I think 
kind of a theme that he's had throughout, not a theme, but he's something that's been mentioned in most of the chapters so far is how our view of God and is our view of God big enough? Do we, or no, do we have the right view of God and realize how big he is? There's a lot of things we, as Westerners, take for granted. Um, yeah, thought I might be able to find that, but um, so the. Mo- <clears throat> Christ died not to change God, but to change our moral situation. When God looks at a sinner who still loves his sin and rejects the mystery of atonement, justice condemns him to die. But when God looks at a sinner who has accepted the blood of the everlasting covenant, justice sentences him to live. And God is just in doing both things. That gets back to Gerald's answer to the question, the cross. John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Justice, then, is on our side and the mystery of the agony of God on the cross has changed our moral situation. So how does the how does the concept of Christ's passion answer the question how can God be just and still spare the wicked? What, Gerald? Christ's holy suffering on the cross and his resurrection from the dead cancels our sins and abrogates our sentence. Any questions on that section on the passion of Christ?
I think you know there when we um, experience the the effect of our sin on us the the shame or the guilt or the sorrow um, and if you think about that happening to Christ for everyone who ever lived even though he was sinless taking that all on him and bearing the guilt and the shame for us is I think that goes along with that suffering as well um Yeah, he talked, that's the point I think you were making, Dave, and he talked about that in here. Um, uh, Well, the third answer, or the third way, um, is the, is, he gives is the unchanging God. Um, The God is... um, always consistent in his in the way he acts is always sorry God acts in a way consistent with his nature Um, he always does that Um, he always acts according to his attributes of love justice and mercy all the other attributes Um, always 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 he acts, God acts like God. And God's attribute of goodness, we talked about goodness last week, implies his attribute of justice. Because if he were not just, he could not, be possi- he could not possibly be good. Um, by comparison, man does not act consistently. We can be grouchy or we can be happy. We could be welcoming or unhospitable. We can be selfish or self-sacrificing. We do not always act consistent, but God always acts consistently with his nature. Um, So how does the concept of God's unchanging nature answer the question of how God, how can God be just and still spare the wicked?
and we can go back to Jonah. He, when Jonah did go and to re- called him to repentance, um, I think unenthusiastically he did, um, and and the people repented. The king repented. The people repented, and God saved him. The repentance is a key part of of that, but because of God's unchanging nature, the repentance allows him to um, be just and merciful. I guess merciful more than just. Well, no, they're both equally. But from our perspective, we would see that's the mercy. Um, He's in the book, it says, while punishing the wicked is just because they get what they deserve, pardoning and justifying the wicked is also just because it's consistent with God's nature. God's attributes of compassion and mercy um, are those parts, those are God's nature. Um, The sinner deserves to die, but God's mercy grants forgiveness and life. Any questions on that? Um, To close, I'm going to read the last two chapters. And Dave already alluded to the last chapter, but I'm going to read these, not chapters, paragraphs, sorry. Um, I think we're going to be here a while. (laughs) The last two paragraphs. Um, And these, I think, do, are a good summary to the chapter, yeah, the chapter, um, It says, all this cheap talk about St. Peter giving us an exam to see if we're all right, it's all nonsense. The great God Almighty, always one with himself, looks upon a moral situation and he either sees death or life. And all of God is on the side of death or life. If there is an iniquitous, unequal, unatoned, uncleansed, unprotected sinner in his sin there's only one answer all of God says death and hell and all of heaven can't pull that man up but if he beats his breasts and says God be merciful to me a sinner and takes the benefits of the infinite agony of God on a cross God looks on that moral situation and says life and all of hell can't drag that man down. Oh, the wonder and the mystery and the glory of the being of God. Um, That we can be thankful that God is just and merciful, um, and he saves us from our sins.
anybody have any questions? Well, next week is um, God's mercy. And something I pulled out to help us think about it or be pique our interest is um, we get the odd notion that God is showing mercy because Jesus died. No, Jesus died because God is showing mercy. It was the mercy of God that gave us Calvary, not Calvary that gave us mercy. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you, um, Lord, for all that you are. We thank you for your justice, Lord. We thank you for your mercy, your love, your faithfulness. Lord, all the things that you are, um, you are fully and completely, um, equally. And you are uh, not like us, Lord. Your ways are higher than our ways, and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And thank you that um, we can have um, relationship with you through Christ. the sacrifice that he made for us. Lord, may we live a life of repentance and walk in faithfulness and obedience to you and and know you um, more fully and completely. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.